Well, good morning to you. How are you? Good. Yeah? Good, good. I'm glad. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, you were the, the left behind group that didn't get to travel anywhere, so you get to be in church this morning. Aren't you glad for that? I mean... Just think what others would miss out on, and you get to be a part of it this morning. We're going to actually finish this series we've been walking through. It's a series on grace. Now, if you've been tracking the, tra- the progression, you would see that we've talked about uh, grace brings forgiveness. Uh, grace, uh, grace brings salvation. Uh, grace brings this life with Christ. And this week, we're going to talk about grace and heaven. And uh, we talk a lot about heaven. In fact, we sing a lot about heaven uh, as well in the church <laughs> Brian, what what uh what you doing up here? I think this is a really really good one right here. Uh, all right. Um, uh, that, it, a song about heaven. Not exactly what we're getting at. I mean, we we sing. Um, I was think I was thinking kind of a different songs. So you got something else? I got, I got one. All right, let's hear it. No, uh, um, no uh, I, I was meaning more like we sing a lot of songs that are more like biblically inspired that, that, you know, we draw from God's word and they actually become worship songs or hymns that we've sung over the years. And, and so kind of more, more songs like that. So you've got some. All right, let, let's, let's hear it. Mm. That's perfect. You got it. I mean, you nailed it that time. Nailed it that time. So let's give him a hand. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. Well, we're going to talk about heaven this morning and kind of walk through uh, how this grace and heaven fit and what we're talking about here. If you have missed any of the teachings in this series, um, I want you to know that there has been a purposeful tr- uh, progression of what we've been talking about. So I encourage you, uh, go to our windoverhills.org page, listen to the, the teachings, and, and all four of them kind of fit together in one full message that we wanted to share with you. Now, next week, we're going to jump into our uh, Christmas at the Movie series. And so we'll have a blast for the next uh, few weeks. We'll send you an email, a Facebook invite. I'll tell you all about uh, what we're going to be looking at in the movies involved, and that'll start next week. A great series to invite somebody, your guest, to come be a part of. When I was in high school, uh, 16 years old, uh, just had gotten my license. In fact, a group of friends, we had all just gotten our licenses. And it wasn't but a few months after that, uh, a close friend, Jimmy, was killed in a car wreck, along with two other people from our high school. And I went to the funeral, I went to the graveside, and a few weeks later, I went with Jimmy's mom. It was just him, uh, her and myself went, and uh, we took some flowers, and... and, uh, I remember being over the graveside, now with no one there, just two of us, and it's the first time I ever remember in my life, I wasn't a Christian at that point, thinking, like, where is Jimmy now? Like, what is Jimmy experiencing now? Like, what happens now after this? I knew all the little metaphors that you would say, you know, he's in a better place and all those kind of things, but I wondered for the first time, what is it like now for Jimmy In fact, I had these little thoughts of, man, I need to work really hard on the sports field now because Jimmy might be looking down, you know, and I want to make him proud, you know. I wasn't sure what to think or what to believe about the now 
for Jimmy. I just remember it's the first time ever I've processed. You have your first time ever. It probably popped into your head on when you process the life after death. In fact, if it was left wide open, say, ask questions about heaven, you could ask all kinds of questions. They'd be all over the map and what you might want to know about heaven. What does it look like? You know, uh, what does eternity feel like? Will we be with uh, our relatives or our loved ones? You know, what, what will it really be like? Do our pets go to heaven? Uh, you know, I would say, what well, depends. What kind of pet do you have? Dogs, maybe. Cats, probably not. Sorry. Oh, well, probably not. It's just, just how it goes. It's in the Bible somewhere, Hezekiah 8 or something like that. Well, it's there. What is heaven all about? That's really our question this morning. What, is it, what does it really look like? Now, I, I got to thinking this week as I was trying to put this together, I have really not heard a lot of sermons on heaven. We just don't preach a lot of sermons about heaven. It finds its way into a lot of sermons, little like, like sentences or sayings. But as far as a sermon, I can really remember just a couple that stand out that walk through this component of, of heaven and so why don't we talk about it more would be the question. Well, like, if you came up to me today and you said, Tom, I'm going to Garden Grove, California. And I don't know why you would, but let's say you were. And you said, I would like to know from you, what should I do in Garden Grove? Now, I grew up there, right? So I could tell you things. I could tell you some of the, the restaurants that people went to and some of the, the I, I guess, night living type things or nightlife things or the movie theaters and those type of things. I could even tell you more. I could tell you the Tom Raven childhood stops you might want to go to while you're there. Yeah, I could tell you where the comic book store, that one time I stole a comic book and felt so bad I had to take it back and tell the owner there later. I mean, I could tell you Twin Lakes Park where we kind of got in trouble riding our bikes around the park and going in the storm drains and things like that. I can tell you because we didn't have those little convenience stores back then like the Circle K's and places now. So I can show you the liquor store where we went to buy our candy, you know. Um, so we would have candy as we're riding around. Like, those are, these are important stops on your tour, okay? Um, why? Because I live there. I know the place, right? We don't talk about heaven because, like, nobody's gone and lived there and then come back and reported to us what it was like. It becomes a little bit of a mystery. Now, throw in on top of that, like, the glorification of different components that may or may not even be accurate biblically in our uh, movies and TV shows and things like that, plus uh, our Hallmark cards that create little sayings about heaven that may or may not have any bearing to God's word. And it's no wonder that we're very mixed up on this idea of what really is heaven like? What is it all about? Today, go in Amazon. Uh, go to Amazon and just ask for books on heaven. You'll get about 216,000 books on heaven, right? So if you want to read, you better get started. That's a lot to cover. Uh, so we're going to talk today about the heaven in the Bible. Like, what does God's word have to say? Now, let me just be honest with you. The Bible shows that 54 of the 66 books talk about heaven. There's just no way to process that in the next 25 minutes. Um, but that's where you would begin, looking in God's word and understanding how prominent it is. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. We find in the very beginning. And then we find in, if we open up the New Testament, the first book that talks about Jesus, 70 times in the book of Matthew, is there's a reference to heaven. This is a prominent topic that shows up in God's word. So this morning, what we want to do is what we want to do is we want to take what Paul Peter and even John, and ask the question, like, what did they understand after Jesus' death and resurrection? What did they understand 
about heaven, about this afterlife? And how does it show up in their uh, writings? Now, um, this is just common sense here, but I'll write it on the board. We kind of think in terms of three different dimensions, if you want to call it that. We would think of heaven, right? We talk about heaven, and heaven would be like that's where God resides, that's where everything like good and holy comes from, and we talk in those terms, right? Then we would say, here's earth, right? And earth is, I mean, that's his creation. We're part of earth, right? That's where we dwell. And while we're on earth, we actually make decisions spiritually about this eternity as well, about these other dimensions. And then, of course, we would have down here what we would call hell as well. And we would say separation from God. Like that's even willful separation uh, from God. And so we think in these terms. Now, there's no doubt that God's word doesn't teach about these three components as well. But we have somehow at different points in time kind of created some of our own theology as it pertains to these. And one of the ones I want to share with you about is that we look at earth and what we think sometimes is that earth is of no value. I'm just here. I'm just hanging on for all I can, I can because one day I get to go on and be in heaven. We used to sing the song, remember, this, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Uh, and we think in those terms of earth, there's no value here. Now, let me tell you where that comes from. Uh, about 120 years ago, 130 years ago, uh, during the holiness movement of the late 1800s, there was this critique and pushback on stockpiling possessions. Like in the Christian world, there was this right understanding of, look, you're not going to take it with you. You should never put your material possessions above your spiritual life, above God. And so there was kind of this pushback and kind of a preaching against this stockpiling and hoarding of what we have. You know, like, I I have this. I got to get more. It's for me type of mentality. And that started to show up in a lot of theological writings and sermons and things like that coming out of the holy move, holiness movement. But as we do sometimes, when a pendulum starts swinging, we keep swinging it. It reached a point where it was actually the theology was starting to understand not the don't put your material possessions above God. It was there is no value in this earth at all. No value here. So why would I want to invest anything in this earth? Like, why would I want to show any investment on the planet, the earth, uh, any type of material things at all? And so we, had, we, we see this showing up in sermons somewhere around 1920, 30. We start to see books start to be written out. We start to see in children's books, it even shows up as well. Here's the problem. I don't see that in Scripture. Like, I don't see that showing up where there's just this, the earth is of no value here. In fact, we see an opposite. What we see is God wanting to redeem and restore earth. He wants to make a new earth, as he calls it. And then he t- we actually get this understanding of the heaven and the new earth. And so we're just going to look at that this morning, what we're talking about and, and what, that, what that means. You see, at the, at the time of Jesus... Um, there was really not much of an understanding of resurrection, all right? So look at, let's look at it this way. So when we look at, at earth, we think of Jesus on the cross. This is where our righteousness begins. Jesus went to the cross. Two weeks ago in this series, we walked through this and what this means, what salvation does for our life and what it brings to our life. Jesus went to a cross. We are 
forgiven and redeemed from our sins, and it opens up the door to new life. This new life we talked about last week, it comes with resurrection, Jesus rising from the dead. And Jesus now saying, look, the power that, that I rose from the dead with, that power is given to you through the Holy Spirit. And now you get to go live the life designed for you to serve the kingdom, to serve others, and on and on and on. You can pick that sermon up from last week if you want to hear more on that. But in, in antiquity, really, there wasn't a lot of understanding of, of resurrection. In fact, if you looked at Jesus' religious leaders of his day, you would look at the Sadducees, the Zealots. They didn't have an understanding of resurrection at all. We don't see any resurrection show up in their teachings and writings. But guess who you do find resurrection talk with? The Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees had such a good understanding of God's word, the Old Testament. They were ones that they were, they were actually taking God's word and they wanted to be protectors of God's word. Now, we know in the New Testament, they swung that pendulum a long way, created a lot of legalistic rules for the Jewish people. And that's why Jesus preaches against them several times. But they understood resurrection because they understood God's word. And they would have actually believed this. The Messiah would come and the faithful would rise from the ground, rise from the dead, and they would enter the city or enter the temple, some of the translations say. What do they mean there? Like if you actually go uh, to Jerusalem now, you'll see on the Mount of Olives, there are tombs everywhere on the hillside facing the temple. Why? Because that was their theologically, uh, theology and understanding that they would rise from the dead. When Jesus came, when the Messiah came, rise from the dead and go into the temple. And therefore, they were, they were buried right there, right there close. That was an understanding. Now, what was Paul? Paul, writer of the new, much of the New Testament, Paul was a Pharisee. He understood God's word. He understood how God's word taught this. And so it doesn't surprise us that we actually, as we study heaven, we study the eternity with God, that we would understand Paul uh, is writing what he sees in Scripture. And it actually lines up with what we see uh, in the Pharisees as well. And so that's what I want to do. I want to just jump in and talk about some of this as it shows up in here. This merging, actually, heaven and earth, a new earth coming, and we get to dwell on that. Actually, a restored earth, restored to how God intended it to be. And we get to live on out, as the scripture says, with no sin, with no pain, with no hurt, and on and on. We'll get into some of that. So what they're actually saying here, what Paul writes about, Peter writes about, we find it in John in the book of Revelation, is there is another resurrection coming when our earth will be restored, right? And so what are we doing? We're just living between the resurrections right now. We're living between it. And the question would be for us now, well, what do we do as we're living between these, as we're waiting it out? For many of us, maybe all of us, I don't know, we might pass on and go hang out with Jesus until this this resurrection to this restored earth comes, right? But what are we doing in the meantime? I believe the false theology is the earth is of no value. But I think biblical theology tells us there is actually something to be about here that is heaven in part of what heaven will be in whole one day when it's restored. And that's what we're called as Christians to be a part. 
Uh, in fact, uh, some New Testament scholars like N.T. Wright and uh, C.S. Lewis actually help us with these. There would be area, uh, authors I would encourage you to go to and read even more because we'll only catch, capture a, uh, just part of this in the next 15 to 20 minutes. C.S. Lewis, though, uh, it's said that he used to write letters of response to people who would write in and ask questions of him. We might send a text out, right? He would sit down and write letters, and it said a couple hours a day. One such letter came on November 8th, 1952 from Miss Johnson, and she was asking questions about heaven, maybe questions that you might ask as well. And in his response, he says this line, the symbols under which heaven is presented to us are a dinner, a wedding party, a city, and a concert. And so uh, he goes on to break these down biblically. I want to just walk through some of the passages that would actually speak about this because it answers this question, what are, we, what are we supposed to be about as Christians in between the resurrection of Jesus and this, this resurrection or this restoring of the earth and whatever day God has deemed is the day. The first is a dinner party. Let me read the passage for you. It's in your notes this morning. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Now, you might remember this story in full. You know, basically, we get this image of what heaven is like. And we're told that the servants were supposed to go out and send out all the invitations to the people that the master was inviting. And guess what happened? They didn't come. The invited didn't come, right? And so he said, no, now go out and invite more. Just invite anyone out there. And the servants would have thought, we need to go find people that are kind of like the people the master would want, right? So they went out and tried to invite some people. And guess what happened? They said, yeah, there's people, but it's not full. And what does the master say? So he brings clarity. He says, look, go out and bring in anyone, anyone. If they have a pulse, invite them to the party. Just get them here. Why? So that my house would be full. Like he has this, this picture of this grand dinner party that's full and the interaction and the laughter and the fun and whatever happens at a dinner party. I remember uh, Patrick Gilliam was a, a friend of mine in Chicago and he turned 40 while we were in Chicago. He just turned 50 actually, which is amazing to me, but he turned 40 while we were there. And so we got invites to the 40th birthday party. Went down to Chicago at this nice restaurant and had one of those back rooms that they had rented out. And we went and sat around this huge round table with an opening in the middle, probably 25, 30 people. And guess what we did that night? We had just hour after hour talked about Patrick. We shared stories about different things that he did. And, and we laughed and we ate good food and we, we spent that time together. And the gifts were very clever that were given because they were given kind of based on how you knew Patrick. You gave something, either a, a, a serious gift or a little bit of a fun gag gift. And so a story went with it. For me, somebody that worked for Patrick, I was in a unique position because I knew how he operated. I got 2 a.m. emails. That's when he did his emailing. Somewhere from 12 to 2 a.m., he would sit up and write his emails out and so I'd wake up the next morning, check my email, and sure enough, there you go, like 157 from Patrick. So we created this fun commercial, which was kind of a dubbed of a popular commercial at the time about this 2 a.m. email guy, right? 
That's the kind of enjoyment that dinner party, hour after hour, we had that night. We had a babysitter, my wife and I, uh, the kids were small, and I remember having to call the babysitter twice to say we're a little extended past our time. That's what picture of heaven is what is being said here, that it is a dinner party and you are invited to it so that you can go and you can be seen and you can be known and you can be part of it. Think about that. How many people walk through this earth and they never felt seen and they never feel known and they never feel a part of it? And God is saying, there's going to be this great dinner party. We're going to sit down and have great food together, great times. And I'm going to tell stories, great stories. And we'll laugh into the late hours of the evening. That's this metaphor he offers in this section. And it's a powerful one that we shouldn't gloss over quickly. In fact, the Bible actually says that in heaven, that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be represented. Now can you picture that dinner party? Like everyone. Like basically what he's saying is this is not going to be a massive click. Like everywhere I go, it doesn't matter what church you go to, what a gathering you go to, what school you're at, there is somebody walking out saying, I just feel like there are a bunch of clicks in there, right? I mean, what we're being told is that's not what heaven's going to be like. Like we're not going to have this internal need and draw just to connect with people who are like us or people that we like. We're actually going to have eyes and hearts that are open to the full table, everyone. Like, in fact, if right now you can't open up your table to people who aren't like you, who don't think like you, who don't have even the same belief system you have, you might have a hard time understanding this metaphor and how powerful it is. Because Jesus says it's going to be a wonderful dinner party, open up to every tribe, every nation, every person, anyone who says yes to Jesus, they have this invitation at the table. Second thing he says is it's like a wedding party. Let me read this passage here. It comes from the book of Revelation. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of a rushing wind, like the sound, the loud peals of thunder shouting. So just picture that for a second, this explosion of thunder and this roar Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Like the doors open, right? And the bride stands there. Who's the bride that the Bible shares? It's the church. It's, it's like it's you and I. It's the believers in Christ, the body of believers. And like we're being, we're being celebrated and looked at. And we're in white, symbolizing this righteousness that the Lamb brings to our life. We've been empowered to do the righteous acts of God in Christ. Now, I got married 22 years ago, 22 and a half years ago, right? And I went out and I bought, I mean, at the time, I spent a lot of money on my tuxedo. I mean, easily 70 bucks, right? So I um, went out and, and I, I, mean, I was decked out, walked out, was standing out, and I learned nobody was there for me. <laughs> I learned that pretty quick, right? I mean, I'm standing out there looking pretty good with the men, the pastor, and those type of things. And we were there. But as soon as, like, the key of the music changed, you know, ding, changed, every head turned and looked to the back. Like, I was not even visible anymore. You know? Look to the back. Why? Because the doors open and there the bride stood. In fact, I think I've told you before, it's the reason I wanted an inside wedding for that moment, because I wanted the doors to open, 
And I wanted the knees to buckle like that. And it happened, right? Now, everybody stood up. The moment she moved, they stood, and they looked at her the whole way down. They never did that for me, right? Why? Because the bride was so significant, so significant. And what we find here is the same. We get this imagery. The bride is coming. The believers are coming, and we're celebrated. Like, the, the heavenly host would look at us, stand But then we go on with the wedding ceremony, and we have to understand there's this moment in the wedding where the couple turns to each other and they declare vows. And what are they saying? I vow to live this way. I vow to do this for you. You I vow to be in this, you know, and we say, you know, for better or worse, you know, all the way till death do us part and all these things, right? These vows. Now picture this, that we get to stand before God and re-declare our vows before him to redeclare our commitment, knowing that on this life, we, we love God. We love Jesus. And there's times we blow our vows, too. And we get to redeclare in front of him our connection to want to follow him. That's a powerful thing. Sometimes um, I actually, in, a, certain, in a, a wedding, especially if I know him pretty well, I'll kind of almost jokingly say, well, you know, uh, life as you know it is over. It's done. It's gone. That whole singleness you enjoyed, that's gone. It's done. And the two, you are actually merging as one. There is a new oneness, something you've never encountered. This oneness will be amazing. Like, I picture that in heaven, the new, the, this, this new heaven, that there's this oneness, this is connection with who God is and what he's about, that we recommit our vows this is a picture of heaven. The next is we get is called a city. And this threw me for a little while. I've heard this several times. In fact, this passage comes from Revelation, but this is not the only place that it actually shows up in God's word that talks about the heaven being like a city. We think Revelation, well, that's kind of this apocalyptic writing, and it's very metaphorical and, and that type of things. But we actually see this. Paul writes about it once, and we see some references in the Old Testament. Here's what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away, get this, every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Is that good news? Listen to what he says here. He who is seated on the throne, this is what he says. This is what he declares. I am making everything new. You know, I, I've been asked the question many times, what am I going to do in heaven? By my uh, more cynical uh, uh, non-Christian friends, they will ask me, are you, just gonna, you guys just going to be up there singing the whole time? Is that what, you, what you're going to do, you know, on clouds with harps and singing a few songs? I really hope not. I mean, I know some of you, you just love praise courses, but um, um, if we go to heaven and we're, it's just a continual repeat of better is one day, um, it's just going to be really, really tough for me. A true story. Actually, I was uh, at a camp one time with my friend Bill, and 
we had already had the service. It was impactful and powerful and all this kind of stuff. And then they were having a campfire afterwards. And I said, Bill, um, like if, if we go up to this campfire and we're sitting there and they launch into better as one day, like, I just want you to know, I'm, I, I know I'm a pastor and all, but I'm out of there. You know, if, sure enough, we're walking up the hill to the campfire and we can hear as the music becomes louder, as we get closer, I can hear better is one day and, and we just, oh, um, I'm sorry, that sounds really unspiritual for a, a pastor. Heaven is a city. Like, what a city? I mean, cities have parks and restaurants, and they got to be taken care of and run well. And I mean, so you get this picture, like, we'll have purpose and meaning and activity and service in this new heaven in this city. Like, we're not going to just sit around. That sounds really boring to me. I'm sorry, but we get this picture of activity. We're going to be involved hand-in-hand in hand with God in this in this new city, in the activity of the city. We'll have work to do is what we'll have to do. I mean, can you see how, like, we ask, what do we do now? As we're waiting for heaven and whole, what do we do with heaven in part? We work. We get after it. We, like, we go hand in hand with God right here where we are today, you and I, in our city, in our families, in our, our, our work, and we go right at working for the kingdom of God right here, right now. Like, if you roll through your week, and you like, I mean, you would honestly say, I got no, I, I rarely have any concept of working for the kingdom throughout the week. I just think, get up, do my devotions, you know, and I'm good. I mean, I'm close to God. I love God. You're missing what God is saying. No, we've got activity. We've got work to do. We get to go hand in hand and be a part of what God wants us to be. Now in part, one day, as this scripture is saying, in whole, in the new city. That's a powerful metaphor, rolling up our sleeves along with God, serving, bringing him glory. Finally, we get this picture of a concert, and they sang a new song. This is a song they were singing, Revelation chapter 5. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God's persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, everyone. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on this earth. It's a picture of a concert singing. Now, uh, I, I think I've told you in the past, I love the band U2, and uh, back in the early 90s, that was probably the height of my fandom, all right? Like, that was the one time in my life where a rock poster hung on the wall uh, of my life. I do regret it still today. I've always been a sports poster guy, but there was one music poster that hung, and it was of U2, the Joshua Tree album. And so they were coming to do a concert at Anaheim Stadium in Southern California, 20 minutes from where I was going to college in 1992, November 7th, 1992, right? Several months prior, the tickets went on sale. And this, of course, was before internet, so you had two options. Either you went and stood in line for a long time, overnight, uh, preferably, or you picked up the phone, you know, and you went, do, 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 beep, beep, do, 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 beep, 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 you know, and you just kept doing that until finally you got through to actually talk to somebody. I decided I'd go stand in line. So we went about midnight, and just 20, it's just 20 uh, or, or so yards away from where my housing complex was, right around the corner was Music Plus. Do you remember Music Pluses? You can buy concert tickets there. So we went and stood in line about midnight. I was 18th in line with my same friend, Bill, that I just told you about, and we waited in line to when it opened, I don't know, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. 18th in line, I felt really good about my placement. Sure enough, the guy in front of me, when he was getting his tickets, his head dropped. 
I knew what that meant. It was over. Sold out. Nothing. We were done. I didn't have to. But I, I immediately, I said, Bill, we're still going. Like, we're going to go. And he goes, I, look, we, we, don't, we can't hardly pay these tickets. We're not going to pay scalpers for tickets. I said, I don't care. We're still going. We'll figure. So here's what we decided to do. All right? I don't advise this. So <clears throat> we went actually down to the stadium a couple days before. We'd been to the stadium many times for Angel baseball games. So we went to the stadium, and we went to the security uh, office, and we said, hey, if you're working vending, what gate do you need to be at and what time for the U2 concert? And without thinking, they just said, well, you need to be at this gate, 545 sharp, uh, concert night. Well, we'll be there. Oh. And we decided we would go back, and we would get brown khakis. That seemed official for us. That seemed like the right pants for vendors, and a blue shirt, um, and we actually made, I, I regret to say we made at my church, lanyards that hung <laughs> around our necks that had our pictures on it, you know. And so we just thought, we're just going to go there. We'll get, like, in the, with the group of vendors. We'll all be standing there. And when they open up that vendor gate, like, we'll, we'll just jump into there, right? Um, I mean, this was before the day of all the beepers and all that, you know. Um, you know so we, we thought, you know, we, we had a pretty good shot at this. Um, Probably not my finest Christian moments, um, and I was serving as a youth pastor as well um, at the time. So, um, and I will I will tell you, so you understand the story that we got to the parking lot and I chickened out. I was like, we can't, Bill, we can't do this. So instead, we actually sat outside of the stadium, like right if you've ever been there, just huge concrete areas right outside the massive walls that go up to the seating. We sat there in our. Uh, in our lawn chairs, and I mean the old-style lawn chairs, you know, with the weave type of thing. We sat there in those, and we listened to the concert. It's an open-air stadium, and we listened to 50,000 people in the concert, right? I mean, I paid my parking, I guess. That was my spot. Oh. It was the first time in my life I had ever heard this massive collection of people singing in unison. Every band has that song. U2 has a few of them, and uh, at that time, in 92, is where the streets have no name. And they went into an a cappella moment of the song, and you could hear the 50,000 people singing that together. And I thought, man, that's powerful. I've never experienced anything like that. Now, since I've been able to experience it in like a Christian setting, singing these praise songs, these great groups. In fact, some of my greatest moments on Sunday morning is when somebody steps away from the mic up here, and I hear your voices no, it's powerful. Listen, don't get caught up in the song. It's a picture of heaven. It's that we are in unison declaring the same thing about God. I mean, we can't even in a small church anywhere, any small church, get in total unison on what we holler out and sing and declare, right? This massive gathering is now going to declare and sing in unity, like, that means your eyes are going to be open. My eyes are going to be open, right, when, we, when we're in this, this heaven eternal. And guess what? We're going to have been wrong about a few things. It's not going to matter. When we're there, we are going to sing and declare in unison who God is and what he's about. It's going to be amazing. That's the picture of this concert. Not just the singing part, but the unison of what we sing, what we declare I mean, when we get to heaven, and we get, we get to be a part of the activity of the new city. We get to heaven, and we, like, we get these great dinner parties, these meals, and you get to, to declare your new vows between God and, and you. There's going to be rejoicing you're going to want to do together. 
And that's where this word picture comes in. I don't know about you, but when I think about it that way, it doesn't sound like a boring place to me. It doesn't sound like sitting on clouds and playing harps and, you know, and every once in a while, like Touched by an Angel showed us, they send one of us down to do some good thing in about 45 minutes because that's what, you know, a show lasts. Um, No, it's great meals where we get to be seen and known. It's these vows where I'm trusted to join in with God again. It's a city that I'm actually going to get to participate in hand in hand with God. And it's a concert that's so much bigger than who I am, declaring in unity who God is and what he's about. This whole picture, you got to understand that this isn't about us trying to evade earth. It's not about us saying, this, there's nothing good here. I just got to hunker down, hold on, and get out of here and get to heaven one day. It's about him saying, no, we actually, we actually get to participate in heaven in part right now because of what God does in our life, what Jesus did on the cross and what he did in resurrection. We get to actually participate and bring heaven in part to earth because one day there's going to be heaven in whole. And let's say you get about this far in it and you, you know, your time's done, you pass on, you get to go hang out with Jesus until this day. And that's the picture he's wanting you to see. Listen, for some Christians though, we just don't get it. Like we don't care about the table and who's, who we invite to it. We don't really care about our city or joining in hand in hand with God on our activity and what we're doing. We don't care about the vows we might have made to God and that we've neglected. We may not even care about singing in unity. We may just say, I just want to be right. Listen, someone took a risk on you. Like somebody took a chance on you. Somebody took a risk on me, and they were willing to share with me about this heaven in part and what I could experience in the resurrection of Christ right here. And in that they declared in one day, We'll go and we'll be in heaven in whole, eternally. Somebody took a risk to share that with me. And at 16 and a half, right about 17, I said yes to that. My eyes were open to what a life in Christ was about. Somebody took a risk on you too. I wonder for you, who are you taking a risk on? Like, who are you reaching out and saying, I am going to be heaven in part to them right now. I'm going to declare my faith to them. I'm going to share with them what Christ has to offer their life. Yesterday I was in Verizon, and while I was in there talking to the salesman, a lady came up, kind of not even interrupted our conversation. She just came, and while we were talking, track, track, moved on. Track had some words about Jesus and about salvation. I'm like, those are great words. I believe in what the God's word has to say and all of it. But we're in unique positions relationally to go out and to really be heaven with people. I think we can do better than handing a track to somebody who's in a conversation. I think we can go be this for people. Somebody was that for me. I think somebody was that for you. That is this picture. We get to join hand in hand with God. Here's what the word of God says, and then let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That's what we get to bring. And one day, God's going to bring it in whole. Let me pray for you. So Father, this morning, I'm going to guess there's somebody in here who has never declared faith in Jesus. 
Like they've been a part of the church, they've come, but they've never said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to live this way that I see those around me living. I want to believe this thing that's, uh, that's preached about every week, that's sung about. This is the morning where I'm going to declare I believe in Jesus. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want, like we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit to live in me. If that's you this morning, this is what I want to ask. You can declare before God. We, call, we say we, we put it in a prayer form, but you can declare to God, Lord, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for rejecting you up till now. I want to live for you from this moment on. Go ahead. You can say that in your heart right now if that's you. If this is, this is the moment you've said that for the first time, then you know what God's word says? Immediately. You're a child of God. Immediately. Immediately you have this, this gift of grace. But I would guess there might be others of you that you're like, I, I've done that. I've, I, I have a testimony. I have a, a, a story I can share of when I said yes to Jesus. But I have definitely not been living like heaven is here in part right now. And I can join hand in hand with God in living this out. I can take a risk on somebody else. If that's you this morning, just you can do your own business with God. You know the words to say. Just speak to God. Declare whatever your heart needs to declare to him. It's my desire that I would send us all out of here, myself included, empowered, uh, inspired, and ready to go out and say, I'm going to go be a part of heaven, heaven in part right now, even awaiting the day that I will experience heaven in whole and full. So Lord, that's what we want. So Lord, may this be an incredible Sunday, an incredible week of us feeling like we've joined hand in hand with you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I know this is um, uh, this was a weighty topic this morning. And in fact, uh, like I said, 54 books of 66 speak about the heaven. So we obviously did not get through it all. So I would love if you this morning say, yeah, but what about... Why don't we, you know, uh, this, or I don't understand. I'd love to sit and have coffee with you and talk about some of this stuff. So you can use the card if you would. Just write on there, hey, I'd like to get together. Or you can, you can write down there, um, hey, I've got this question. Whatever it is, just use that card. In just a few minutes, the ushers are going to come through and take up our offering. You can just drop this in there. Again, if you're new with us, you can either fill this out and drop it in or come out and see me outside. We've got a special gift for you on your way out. One final word on the cards uh, before I share a couple of announcements. Um, uh, for the last few weeks, we've gotten a lot of cards on the topics we've been talking to, a lot of things to pray for, and I really appreciate you stepping out and, and really taking a risk on trusting us with that information to, to pray, and, and we do. Um, we've gotten a few cards that I would say they're more like suggestions uh, for things at the church um, or um, yeah, there were clarifications on a, one on a theological point in the sermons of those things. We find that usually when it's more like a suggestion, maybe even put it in a critique category, we usually don't get a name on that card, um, which puts us in a position that I don't really know how to interact with you about it. Um, if it's something like, you know, hey, we just blew something, it's easy to flip, switch, great. But it's something that I'd love to dialogue with you about. 
I'd love to share with you, like, hey, we're just not staffed to do that program right now. Um, maybe if you got involved too, maybe together we could partner and figure something out. Maybe it's something I would say, hey, it doesn't quite fit the mission of what we're trying to do as a church right now. Um, or maybe I'd say, hey, in that sermon, I, you know, I said this, the, 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 what we believe in the theological component is this. Uh, so I'd love to have that opportunity. So by no means am I saying every time you fill out a card, you have to put your name. There's some private stuff you want prayed for, you're not ready to share, no problem. Um, but if it's more of a suggestion, critique, I'd love the opportunity to be able to dialogue about that. You might be 100% in the right, and I just totally missed it. I'd love to be able to talk to you about that. Um, might be something you're not seeing from a certain perspective. I'd love to talk to you about that too. So, um, so is that a, just a kind way of saying you know, I'd love to dialogue more than to look at the card and not always know what to do with it if it has, doesn't have a name on it. So sound good? Um, but you can share anything you want at any time, or you can just grab me outside and, and share with as well. If I don't know, um, I'll just say, hey, ask Robert Conley. I don't know. So um, he could take it. So, hey, a couple things that are going on. Uh, today's our, our, oh, hey. Before we keep going, Brian has something he wants to say. Oh. I'm out. Uh, yeah, that's, are we going to keep going here on this? Yeah, yeah, thousands elsewhere, that is, no, 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 um, I have immediate openings for praise team positions, so see me afterwards. Write it on your card. Please use your name. Let me. T- <laughs> Thank you, guys. Let me highlight a couple things. Today, uh, our, our decorating, uh, no, not decorating party. I'm not supposed to call it that. Our Deck the Halls gathering today, uh, 5 o'clock. We're just going to have a good time. Thank you for uh, buying the, the different decorative items, and we'll put those up today at 5 o'clock. Um, if you're like, I don't know how to decorate, fine, come. We won't have you do that part, but you can play the games. You can you know, eat. You can hang out, um, and we'll keep you away from decor. But if you're good at that especially, please be here today. And uh, it's just a church-wide thing. Somebody asked me earlier, you know, can I, am I allowed to invite somebody to that? Yeah, anytime we gather, I hope you've gained by now, we want to be missional every time we get together. So, yeah, bring somebody. We'll have great relationships uh, today at 5 o'clock. Um, our series starts next week. Uh, it's going to be a blast for four weeks. Uh, we, we've got... Uh, some good fun stuff we're doing with the themes of these movies. Um, plus, we have our sweater Sunday in about three weeks, which is going to be awesome. I think I've already won it with my sweater that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be wearing. So, um, but you can try for a second. Uh, it's going to be a great series. This is a perfect opportunity, what I just said in the sermon, to invite somebody along with you. Don't let this season pass you and you have not invited your guests to come be a part of us here. Christmas Eve service, the final thing, um, on Christmas Eve 6.15. We want to pack this place out and, uh, and uh, it's, it's going to be awesome. So uh, that's about it on, on announcements. So um, our ushers, I'm going to invite them to come forward, drop your cards in there, use the giving boxes outside if you prefer, or windoverhills.org is great uh, as well. And while they're coming through, why don't you stand? We'll sing one more as we're going out. <laughs>